Um, I shared this last night at the Holy Spirit Conference, uh, uh, the Renewal Conference, which was a powerful time, just a very powerful time. God showed up. Uh, and it, so if you were there last night, I'm not going to preach the same sermon, but the first two minutes are going to be the same, so go to sleep. But um, I want to back into the message by just kind of testifying about an experience that I've had with increasing intensity and increasing frequency over the last five years. And I've shared this at different points, but it's just been so... Uh, so revolutionary in my life, it's so paradigm shifting uh, that I want to just kind of lay it out there. Uh, and I'm sure uh, some of you have this experience as well. I don't live by experience, but on the other hand, I can't help but notice when I'm having it. It's, it's an experience just of overwhelming love. There's nothing you do to strategize your way into it. No gimmicks that will kind of click it on. I wish there was because then I could, I could make it happen more often. But there are times where you're just overwhelmed. You just experience the overwhelming love of God. Times where I, I am just so in love with God and I, I, I see God as being who he really is in all of his unsurpassable, unimprovable, incomprehensible beauty. All the, the fog of false pictures of God is just sort of uh, evaporated away by the sun of his love. And, and you see God for who he really is, and, and you're just so in love with him. And when, when in these experiences, I'm in love with God, and then I'm in love with myself in a very appropriate way because I'm made in the image of God. And I love who he made me to be. I don't love everything about me, but I love who he made me to be and what I'm destined to ultimately manifest in the kingdom of God. I just love it. I, I just love me. I love me. <laughs> And then I have this love for people. You're just like, you fall so in love with people. Uh, again, you don't love everything about them. You don't love everything about yourself. The only, thing you, the only one you love everything about is God. Uh, but you love who they are, who God has made them to be. You appreciate their distinctiveness, their uniqueness, and how precious they are in the light of Calvary. It's, uh, in, in, those, in, in those moments, it's, I'm more certain than any amount of evidence could ever give me. And I like evidence. But I, I'm more certain that God exists, that God is love, and that Jesus Christ is Lord than any other, any other time in my life. It's like I, I'm more certain than I am talking to you right now. It's just a reality. It's there. This is it. And in those moments, I just know that I know that I know that this is the meaning of life. This is the purpose of existence. This is why I exist. This is why anything exists. This is uh, the goal of the whole thing. In these moments, I, I, I feel like I know experientially what it is to be fully alive, fully awake. It's like waking up, and, and it almost feels like you're asleep the rest of the time. You're, you're, you're awake now, and you're seeing things as they really are. Moments of clarity. You, you know what it is to be fully alive, what it is to be a full human being, what it is to be made in the image of God. You know experientially what it really is to, when the Bible says that we are in Christ, man, this is it. When the Bible says we're in the Spirit, this is it. You know what it is in those times to be dead to your old self, to be out of yourself, to be freed from yourself, and you're seeing the world uh, through different spectacles. It, it's, there are moments of, of, because you're out of yourself, you're free from yourself, moments of joy, just, just unsurpassable joy, moments of peace, moments of profound love. And it's not a Pollyanna thing, like, isn't the world all just wonderful? In some ways, sometimes these, these experiences can actually be painful because you see more clearly the ache of the world, the pain of the world, the sorrow of the world. You're more empathetic with everyone around you. And yet in the midst of that, there's that peace that passes understanding and that joy that's unspeakable. In those moments, it, it is... Uh, I, I, I feel like I know the reality, and I, I, I wish I had them more frequently, but, 
but it, I, I experienced the reality of, of John 17, Jesus' priestly prayer, where really, if you read that prayer at, towards the end of it, he talks about how we are really participating in the triune love of God. God in us and us in, in, in God, and, and uh, uh, we are loved with the love that God is, and we love one another with the love that God is, and in those moments, it, I, you just experience the love that God is is coming to me right now, not a secondary love. The very perfect love that God is is coming towards me, and I love myself with the love that God is, and I love people with the, God, the, the love that God is, and I'm not a member of the Trinity, but I feel like I'm dancing with the Trinity. I'm, I'm, I'm sharing, like, like 2 Peter 1, 4 says, I'm a participant in the divine nature, and the nature is love, and I'm participating in it. I, I, in those moments, it's like I'm a, a note of a beautiful symphony that God is conducting, or I'm a, a line in an exquisite poem that God is creating, or I'm a stroke on a beautiful canvas that God is painting. And the highest calling, the ecstasy of life is just being that note, being that line, being that stroke, having that role to play in the whole. And it's all beautiful, and it all glorifies God. In these times, I, I, I feel like I, I fulfill uh, the great command to, to love God with all my heart, mind, body, and soul, and to love my neighbor as myself. But unlike what it is normally for me when I have to like work at that, and that's a good thing, you work at it, but in these moments, it's just a reality that it's not something I do, it's something I am. It's, I'm loving God, I'm loving me, and I'm loving my neighbor as myself, and it's all one and the same thing. Uh, I, I feel in these, in these times like I'm caught up in a vortex of divine love, like I'm wedged in to the relationship of the three persons of the Trinity. I'm caught up in their, in their inter-Trinitarian love. Is that making sense to you? I almost get the picture of like God's love, the triune love is a triangular-shaped cyclone, which is a contradiction, but it's a tornado. It's a tornado. And it's just this, this infinitely intense, unimprovable, passionate, unwavering, unconditional love. It's the love that God is. And, and the goal is for that tornado to suck us all up into itself so we participate in it. Is that kind of bizarre? <laughs> I, I, I like that, someone said up here. <laughs> that's what it is. It's like this whirlwind and God's inviting us and saying, come on, dance with us. It's fun up here. It's free up here. It's love up here. It's joy up here. Come and join us. He's trying to suck us all into that triune love. And the question I ask myself is this. Why can't I stay in that experience? I love it. And it's not like a super mystical, you know, hallucinogenic thing or something. Uh, it's far better than that. I've had the hallucinogenic things. This is way better. It's not even always super emotional. It, 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 but it, it's, it's, it's just life. It's reality. It's, it's what it's all about. This is the kingdom of God. And I ask, why can't I stay there? I want to stay there. I never want to leave there. Uh, you know, but I always do. I'm caught up in this whirlwind of God's triune love, and then, and then I'm back here on the ground. And the picture I get is this. God's sucking us all up into his triune love. That's the goal of the whole thing. Let's dance with the Trinity. We'll be doing it throughout eternity. But see, it's like a tree that's being pulled into the, the, the cyclone. It holds on to the ground. It's got roots. And it's saying, I don't want to leave. And that's how I think I am sometimes. It's like, uh, as much as I want to dance in that triune uh, relationship, I, I hold on to stuff. I hold on to the stuff that keeps me from going in. And, he, and he, there's times where he pulls me away, and then I get caught into the whole thing. But then, uh, next morning, I'm back holding on to the ground. That holding on to is the false self that we've talked about. It's uh, the self that in this fallen world that defines itself over and against that tornado. 
I am not that. I don't want that. I want to do my own thing. I want to create my own win. I want to go my own way. I want to be Lord of my own life. I want to be master of my own destiny. We're created with this incredible need to dance with the triune God. That's why we exist. It's a, it's a mechanism inside of us that this never quits. But see, when we define ourselves as we all do in the fall, if we define ourselves over and against that tornado, then that mechanism gets attached to everything else around us, and it gets ta- attached to the ground. And we think we need the ground, when really what we need is to let go of the ground and grab on the tornado. It's that false self that tries to get its own security, its own life, establish its own individuality, enters into competition with others, eats of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, is always evaluating, criticizing, accusing, uh, excusing, and all of that sort of stuff. The referee of self-interest is going there. And he's hanging on the ground. We're used to the ground. Gravity works for us. We've always been on the ground. We've defined ourselves as ground creatures. And it's scary to let go. The thing about a tornado is it's very scary. It's like, I got to let go of all that's familiar, all that's comfortable, all that I'm used to in order to dance with the triune God. And there's a part of us that just says, no, I want to hang on. Even when we believe in the tornado, we believe in it. We know it's true. We even know it's better out there, but yet we're just rooted on the ground. That's the false self. That self that is curved in on itself. It's a black hole. Black hole is pure gravity. A sun that's collapsed in on itself, and now nothing can escape the gravitational force of a black hole. Not even light. That's why it's black. It's a black hole. Uh, and, and it just sucks life all, light all around it. Just, and the bigger it gets, the more, the, the, the more light it sucks. It just, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a consumer. And it, so it is with the, the fallen self. We live life in this zone where we just try to get life all around us. We're used to it. We're rooted in it. It's our identity. We're familiar with it. What we've seen over the last five weeks is that if we're going to dance in that triune God, which is what we're called to do, that's what it's all about. Jesus died on the cross to open the door for us to now be a participant in the divine nature. If we're going to do that, that false self has got to die. It doesn't do a little bit of good to tweak the false self to, to, to get a pinky off the ground, you know, kind of like uh, you do this thing with it. You're still on the ground. The only way to dance with the triune God, the only way to get caught up in that cyclone is to let it go. Let it go. And that's dying to that old self. Bye-bye. Uh, I'm done with the competition game. I'm done with trying to get life from, from what people think about me, from what I can achieve, what I can establish, what reputation I can get, how good I can sing, how good I can preach, how religious I might be, how my sins aren't as bad as somebody else. You die to that whole way of doing life, and now you're off the ground. And now you're beginning to twirl. And you know what? It's fun up here. It, it was scary. It, it was scary getting in here, but this is joy. This is life. I feel like a flake up here right now. But, <laughs> you see, the... the, the this is what it's about, to get caught up in the love of the triune God. As a way for us to uh, kind of uh, make more concrete what that false self is about and what it looks like to get free from that false self, we've been talking about how when you die to self, it changes your perspective, the ordinary perspective on life, ordinary as defined by the fall. We, we've been talking about how it changes our perspective of stuff. So we've talked about how when you die to self, it changes your perspective on life. It changes your perspective on death. It changes your perspective on your individuality. It changes your perspective on others. And today I want to talk about what is, I think in our culture, one of the most uh, strongest rootings that we have in the fallen world, in our false self. And that is I want to talk about how it changes our perspective on wealth and comfort. Wealth and comfort. Let's read a, a, a portion of Scripture. From Luke chapter 12, I think it, this is one of the hardest hitting passages of scripture for us in the western, wealthy western hemisphere. And for that reason, we need to just really hear it and ingest it. 
Jesus said, take care, be on your guard. Okay, this is something you got to always watch out for. This is the biggie here. Take care and be on your guard against all kinds of greed. There's a lot of different kinds of greed. You may have one conquered, but the, another one will come and sneak up on you. Take care. Be vigilant on this one. For, li- for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. It is the nature of the false self to always think that it does. Then Jesus told him a parable. The land of a rich man, note he was already rich, produced abundantly. And he thought to himself, this guy only thinks to himself. He's curved in on himself. He's a black hole. He thought to himself, what should I do? For I have no place to store my crops. Hmm. Then he said, he's still talking to himself, I will do this. I'll pull down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my my soul, he's still curved in on himself. He's a black hole. He's talking to himself. The only one on his radar screen is himself. Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, you think you own your life? You think you own those barns? You think you own that crop? This very night your life is being demanded of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is, Jesus says, for all those who store up treasures for themselves but are not rich toward God. There's a story that I don't think is true, but it's a good story nonetheless, uh, about this Christian lady who was married to this non-Christian guy. In fact, I don't know if the guy was non-Christian, but just to make ourselves look good, let's say he was non-Christian. We've got to feed off of somebody, right? <laughs> and uh, we're not like this guy. Okay, this guy was a miser. He just loved his money, earned a lot of money, just loved having it, rarely spent it, just liked to keep it, kept it in cash around the house, liked to look at it, liked to count it, was in love with his money. Turns out he was going to die, and so he, he says to his wife, I've got a final wish before I die. You've always been preaching to me that I can't take my money with you, and I want to prove you want wrong, so when I die, I want you to take all my money and put it in the casket with me. I want to take it with me, every dime of it. And she tried to talk him out of that, you know, honey, come on, you know, this is you know, a chance for you to do something good in the world. Think what you could do with all that money. You know, there's, you could build a youth center with that money. Uh, you know, you, you, could, you could build a hospital in Cambodia with that money. There's just a whole lot of stuff you could do with that money. Don't take it with you. But he insisted, he just insisted. And since it was his last dying wish, his Christian wife gave him that wish and promised him that she, she, he, he would take all the money with him. So he dies, and at the funeral, the, just before the close the casket, she goes up there and has a shoebox and puts the shoebox in the casket. Now her Christian friend is outraged by this and goes to her and says, please tell me you didn't give that old miser all of his money. You, you, you didn't let that, you're not going to let all that money be buried with him. And she says, well, I'm a Christian woman and I don't lie and I made him a promise and I got to keep my promise. So her Christian friend says, uh, uh, well, how'd you fit all that money in the shoebox? And she says, well, I, I just, I took the money and I put it in a bank account and I wrote him a check. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Someone sent me that joke on the email this week. I, 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 it really makes the point. You don't take a dime. When you die, the Lord says, whose will that be? It's not going to be yours. You may kid yourself and think you take some of it with you, but, but none of it goes with you. It's as useless as a check in a coffin. It just doesn't do any amount of good. 
See, what, what, what's wrong with this guy? I mean, ask, ask this question. What, what really is the mistake of this guy? It's not that he's got a lot of money. God doesn't have it in for you because you have a lot of money. That's not the problem. Uh, there's a temptation in having a lot of money, but, but th- th- that's not itself the problem. What's wrong with this, th- th- this, this uh, guy in this parable? Um, it's, uh, you know, if you didn't hear it, if you didn't know that Jesus was going to make a point with this story, if you just heard the story, would you think there's anything wrong with it? You hear a story about a guy who had a good crop and, and, and he couldn't fit into his barns, so he tears down his barns, builds bigger barns, and says, okay, now I've got a good retirement plan. I'm going to live a life of leisure. What's wrong with that? Isn't that what people do? That's kind of normal, isn't it? I mean, your, your stock goes way up, so you say, oh, you know, what am I going to do? Well, I got, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, you know, save it, and I, I'm going to retire on it. I'm going to cash in on my good luck, and, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm just going to live the good life. You, you get a big inheritance, you, you use it, you know, you cash in on it. You get a bigger house, get a nicer car, and live the good life. You, you know, it's just, uh, your, your company has a good year, you take the money, and, and you cash in on it, and you're living a better life. Would it occur to us Americans that there's something wrong with that picture? It seems very, very normal. And therein lies the problem. Therein lies the problem. What's wrong with this picture is that the guy is thinking like the black hole that he is. He's totally curved in on himself. The only one on his radar, on his radar screen is himself. It never occurs to him to put God on his radar screen, for example, and to say, you know what, God, thank you for blessing me in this way. That doesn't occur to him. Uh, he only talks to himself. He doesn't talk to God. He just, uh, this is my crop, and I'm going to do with it what I want. Never occurs to him to acknowledge that God is the creator of the world, and this crop really belongs to him. Never occurs to him, therefore, to ask God, God, what would you want me to do with this, this good crop? He's totally curved in on himself. The only one on his radar screen is himself. He doesn't notice the widow down the street whose husband died, who's having trouble making ends meet. It doesn't occur to him to think about her at this time. No, he needs a bigger barn. Uh, he doesn't notice the single mother whose husband just left her high and dry with four kids, and now she has to work the streets in order to support those kids. Uh, he's not, she's not on his radar screen. He doesn't have time to notice the beggar on the street without any legs who can't work to, to, to make a living, and, and it, 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 it doesn't occur to him to ask the question, God, what might you want me to do with my crop towards that guy? No, the only one on his radar screen is himself. When you, it can't be otherwise when you're living in the, 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 the fallen self. You're a black hole. You're trying to meet a need in your innermost soul that only God can meet. But because you're not related to God, you may theoretically believe in God, but because that's not a reality, what's real to you is what you can see, what you can touch, the world around you. And so the need for life that you legitimately have gets attached to the things around you, and you think you really need them. I really do need a bigger barn. And, and, and what, what consumes you is that vacuum on the inside that you're trying to meet. Walking in the fallen self, to the degree that we do that, it's like living life with a migraine headache. Some of you have migraine headaches now and then, don't you? When you have a migraine headache, the only thing on your radar screen is your migraine headache and trying to get rid of it. It's really hard to have a lot of empathy for your child who's stubbed her toe when you've got a migraine headache. You know, you just, you can't, it's hard to get outside of yourself when there's this pain that's going on. So also the fallen self is a walking, talking vacuum. And uh, it, it just it doesn't have the capacity to put much else over and beyond itself, it, its own self, on its, on, on its radar screen. So the mindset of the fallen self is to cash in on your good luck and live it. Cash in on your good luck. Here it is. You know, I, I got it. Lucky me, I'm going to live the good life. I got a good crop. 
I'm going to cash in on that. I'm going to build a bigger barn. Uh, you know, I, uh, why should I worry about the, 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 the prostitute? Why should I worry about that, that widower? Why should I worry about the beggar? I, I need a bigger barn. I really do need a bigger barn. What am I going to do? It's just consumed with itself. I'm born in the U.S., and the U.S. is the wealthiest major nation on the planet. I'm going to cash in on my good luck. I want to have the good life. Uh, you know, uh, uh, why would I worry about building a hospital in Cambodia for some sick Cambodians? I'm here in America, and I need to better my retirement portfolio. I've got a nice house, but why should I worry about the homeless? I want a better house. I've got nice clothes. Why should I worry about the naked? I want, I want nicer clothes. You know, I, I, I've got pretty good health. Why should I worry about the handicap? I want to keep on increasing my good health. I've got teenagers that are doing okay. Why would I worry about kids uh, on the street in, in a youth center? I, I've got, I need to take care of my own kids. The, the fallen self is totally absorbed on itself. It's a black hole. It's curved in on itself. And what that does is it creates its own vortex, its own cyclone. It's a cyclone of greed. You keep on believing that as soon as you got that other house, as soon as you built that bigger barn, as soon as you did this, that, and the other thing, then you'd be satisfied, and then you'd have space on your radar screen for someone other than yourself. But it never, ever works, because the issue's not about things. The issue's about the vacuum that you're trying to fill with things. And it's never satisfied. In fact, the more you consume, the more you've got to consume. Like a black hole, the, the, the more it gets, the more it consumes. It just keeps on sucking light all around it. <sighs> We're created to be shining suns that generate light coming from our source, but when we're cut off from that source, we become black holes. All the studies show this. If there's a sin that America is guilty of, it is this one, more than anything else. Um, you know, when, when the, the World Trade Center was attacked, you, as is typical, had Christian spokespeople get on the TV and start announcing what sins God is punishing us for. That wasn't the terrorists, that was God, I suppose. And, and according to their theology, it was the ACLU, it was the, the abortionist, it was the feminist, it's the gay rights activist, it's uh, this, that, taking prayer out of the school, or you name it, they had a whole list of things. But I submit to you this, if you're going to play that game, you want to look at a sin, the one that's really pervasive, the one that does the most amount of harm, the one that keeps us from, from, from getting into the cyclone, it's this one. It's, it's, our, it's our rooting in things, our, our identity in stuff. It's our materialism. It's this wealth. We, America is, is very guilty of the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. And if you read Ezekiel 16, what that sin was is that they were inhospitable to strangers and uh, they had more than they needed and didn't share with those who had less than they needed. America is guilty of this. And most of us are guilty of this. I am guilty of this. The average American, according to Ron Sider, uh, spends 10 times on leisure and fast foods than they, than they spend uh, on charities and giving to churches, United Way, or whatever. 98% of the average American's income goes to themselves. Black hole, curved in on itself. What should I do? Well, here's what I want. In fact, I don't even want it. I need it. Now, the evidence indicates that America is kind of caught in this vortex of uh, the more we get, the more we keep for ourselves. Um, do you know that in the last 40 years, according to Ron Sider in his great book, uh, Rich Christians in an Age of Hunger, in the last 40 years, the gulf between the U.S. and uh, the poorest 25% of countries on the planet has grown four times. It's four times what it used to be. In that same period of time, our gross, the percentage of our gross national product that we give to those poorest nations has decreased fivefold. The gaps increased fourfold. The, 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 what we give has decreased fivefold. The more we get, the more we keep. 
And it's just the cyclone of the false self. And here's the thing. I don't say this to try to like, get us to all be, let's take up an offering for Haiti now. You know, I, I, I'm not trying to make us feel miserable and maybe it's having that effect, but that's not my, it's not a matter of guilt. I, it's, see, the false self, it can, it can at times be gen, look generous if, if it's in its own interest to look generous. If, if you, um, you know, you can get a little bit of mileage guilting people out. And, and uh, you know, if, it's, if there's something in it for me to give, I'll give. And so if you make me feel guilty, I want to get rid of the guilt, so I'll give a little bit to that. Or if you promise a little blessing at the end, you know, kind of a carrot at the end of a stick and say, oh, if you give, you'll get even richer. You know, there's that kind of deal that people make with God. Well, the false self can do that. You can get a little mileage out of that. And so if we were into a guilt thing, a manipulation thing, a promise thing here, you know, you, we, we, we could get people to, to do things a little bit different. Maybe they'd give a little bit more, but you're just tweaking the flesh. You're, you're holding on the ground, but you, okay, you lift a finger up here, you lift a finger up here, but you're not letting it go. The, the goal of the gospel is not to get people to do things occasionally a little bit different, different, to dress up the flesh a little bit more, to make it look a little bit more pretty, a little bit nicer, a little bit less self-centered than it actually is. The goal is to get free from the whole thing altogether. Amen? The goal is to die to that whole way of doing life. God doesn't want a people who occasionally do things a little different. God wants a people who really are different because we've let go of the ground and we're twirling in the cyclone, praise God, who knew how to do life in a totally different way, who knew how to live, who know how, who know what real life is because they've died to this false form of life. It's not about guilt or manipulation or anything like that. It's just about being real, letting go of that entire way of doing existence. And when you do, when you just let go of the security and the comfort and the convenience and that self-curved way of doing existence, you begin to twirl in the cyclone. You see the world differently, you feel the world differently, you interact with the world differently, uh, everything changes. Now, I want to talk about two, two fundamental things that change when you let go, when it comes to wealth and comfort. The first thing that changes is your, 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 your understanding, the way you treat your bumper crops is totally different. You're still happy for them, you'll still enjoy them, uh, sure you'll, you know, uh, help your retirement with them, but you don't ask the kind of questions the guy in the parable asks. When you've died to yourself and, and you're beginning to learn what it is to fly in that cyclone of God's love, you don't just ask the question, what should I do? What's in it for me? How does this benefit me? You ask the question, God, what do you want me to do with it? You ask the question, how can I love with this? You don't just talk to yourself, you talk to God. You don't just look at yourself, you look around. And now on your radar screen is a beggar. Now on your radar screen is a prostitute. Now on your radar screen is, is, is a widow. And so you ask the question, God, how might I use this, this gift that you've given me to express who you are to them? Totally different set of questions. When you let go of that false self and seeing the world through the eyes of our own self-interest, what's in it for us, and as you begin to twirl in that cyclone, one evidence that you're twirling in the cyclone is, is that you're wearing a different set of spectacles. Uh, you look at the world not just in terms of what's in it for me, but you look at, at the world in terms of what's in it for them. You begin to love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. That seems so elementary, but it is so profound. What does that mean to love your neighbor as yourself? It means you consider their interest to be your interest. What happens to them happens to you. So of course, if you genuinely love your neighbor as yourself, you don't just say, what's in it for me? You ask, what's in it for them? 
And you ask God, Lord, how would I, uh, how would you have me to demonstrate loving them as myself uh, with the blessing that you've given me? When, when you start t- being taken up in the cyclone, now you begin to look around and you notice that you have neighbors. There's others on your radar screen. In fact, just because you're born in the U.S. doesn't mean that Cambodia is not your neighbor. The hungry, sick kid in Cambodia is your neighbor, amen? The poor are your neighbor. The hungry is your neighbor. The gay person is your neighbor. The elderly is your neighbor. The atheist is your neighbor. The handicapped is your neighbor. And you're called to love them as yourself. So we ask the question, here I am. I got a bumper crop. I got a good job. I got this. And now I want to ask the question, not just how can I benefit from this, but how can they benefit from this? And of course, you can't do it with everybody. You're not the savior of the world. I've made that mistake before. You know, uh, no, you know, God, God wants to bless you. you. You're part of the crowd that he loves. He loves you in, individually and uni- uniquely. You're not going to make the world a fair place. But it's to ask this question, this fundamental question. It's a whirlwind question. It's not an earth hanging on the earth question. The question is, God, how would you have me? Highlight for me how I should in particular use the blessing I have, the time I have, the talent I have, the energy I have, the money I have, the comfort I have. How can I use it not just to bless me, because I'm no longer a black hole. I'm filled with your love, and I no longer have to try to be getting that need met through things. And so now you're freed. And this is floating. This is flying in a cyclone. You're freed to look around and see reality as it really is. And you love your neighbor as yourself. A totally different set of questions. Second thing that happens is this. The irony of all of this, the paradox of all of this, is that The false self is always asking the question, what's in it for me? And if you're ever going to find life, you have to die to that question. So you're no longer just saying, what's in it for me? You crucify that self. And when you do that, now you find that there's a lot in it for you. It's the paradox. When you quit wanting it, you get it. You get life. When you die, you live. When you lose your life, you find it. There's a lot in it for you. And what's in it for you is that it's really fun up in that cyclone. Uh, when you start flying in the love of the triune God, there is, among other things, a joy and contentment with what you've got that you never otherwise could get. The false self, the fallen self, is never, ever content. It's a black hole. It's like a toddler, a, an eternal toddler that just always is whining, saying, I want, I want, give me, give me, give me, I want that, I want. My dad used to say, you got the want me, the give me, the buy me's. You know, go in the store, I want that, give me that, buy me that. And, and that's, that's how the false self is. It's always, it's never satisfied. It lies to itself thinking it will someday be satisfied, but it's never satisfied. It's never content. And we live in a culture that salts the wound of that discontentment perpetually. Every commercial is designed to make you a little bit more discontent. How else can, can you get a person motivated to buy what, you, what you're selling? It's this discontent, discontentment all around us. When you die to that, when you, when you, when you quit hanging on to, to, to life in the possessions, there's a peace and a contentment that comes to you that you'll never otherwise get trying to, trying to get it by hanging on to the ground. Paul said this. He said it to the Philippians. He said it while he was in prison. He said it while he was facing execution. In, in, a, in, a, in a cold, wet, rat-infested dungeon, he wrote these words. I've learned to be content with whatever I have. He's looking around this prison, facing death in any moment. It could, could have happened this afternoon. But he says, I'm content. Could be worse. <laughs> 
I know what it is to have little, and I know what it is to have plenty. Notice there's no judgment about that. He's not saying, I feel guilty when I have plenty, I need to have little. There's no judgment there. That, that, that's still part of eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Um, it, it, it doesn't matter to him whether he has little or plenty. He, he, it's more fun to have plenty for sure, but, but he says, I've learned to be content whether I have little or whatever I have plenty. In, all, in any and all circumstances, he says, I've learned the secret of being well-fed and of going hungry, of having plenty and of being in need. I've learned the secret. No, he hasn't learned the secret of how to always be well-fed and never hungry, how to always have plenty and never be in need. Because right now, in fact, he is, doesn't have plenty and he is hungry and he's facing death. The secret isn't how to avoid these things. The secret is how to stay content in the middle of, those, uh, in the middle of all that. And the secret, in a nutshell, as we said last week, it's found in Galatians chapter 2, is this. Paul could say, it's no longer I that lives, but Christ who lives within me. I, I, I no longer have uh, the, the, the need to have nice stuff around me because the innermost need has been met because I've surrendered my life to the cyclone. Jesus Christ is living in me. It's no longer I that lives, but Christ who lives within me. So there's a sense of contentment that I have on the inside. Sure, as a human being, I, I like to have plenty rather than, 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 than little. I like to be well-fed rather than hungry. But I'm content either way. Why? Because I got something that gives me a peace and gives me a life, whether I'm hungry or whether I'm filled, whether I have a lot or whether I have nothing. So I may not have the best, best house in the world, but I've got Jesus Christ so I can be content with my house. May not drive the nicest car, but I, I, I've got Jesus Christ and so I'm, I can be content with my car. And it doesn't mean that you don't look for a better car when you can afford it. Fine, do that, whatever. But you don't need it. it your, your need doesn't get looped up into that. If you can get it, get it. You know, let God direct you on that. But uh, you're content with what you have. Maybe that you don't have as nice as food as you want and don't drink the finest wine in the world and don't have caviar every night, but, but you got food and you can be content with it. Why? Because you're a child of the king, for crying out loud. You're going to feast at the banquet supper of the lamb. Uh, you, don't, you don't need the best right here and now. Amen? It may be that you don't have the best health right now, and you can either curve in on yourself and grumble about that and make yourself and others miserable because of that whole thing and do what you can to get, to get better health and to get fixed whatever. But you know what? You're going to have a new body pretty soon anyways. You are already filled with the Holy Spirit. You're a temple of God. You're seated with Christ in heavenly places. You're blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. You're filled with the Holy Ghost. His love and power and peace flow through you right here and right now. That's not too bad, is it? You can be content with where, where you are right now, with life as it is right now. In any and in all circumstances, there's a contentment. And it, again, it doesn't mean that you don't care. You, you know, like, like, you know, you don't ever ask, how can I improve the house or how can I get a better job? But yeah, you do that. But you're not driven. There's not that drive there. And when the Lord says, you know what, I'd rather have you love that person as yourself in this way, now you're free to do it because you're not hanging on to it, you see. Now, now you own it, but it doesn't own you which means you're free to now use it for what it was. The most fundamental purpose why you have it is as a tool of love. And you love, you love yourself, so you use that, but you also love others as yourself, and so God leads you. Whether it's giving to a ministry, whether it's giving to a person on your block, or however it may be, you're free to let go of it. The other thing that happens, and I'll close with this, is, is this, and it's an important point. When you're twirling in the whirlwind and you're no longer seeing life out of a black hole, self-curvature self, and there's something else on your radar screen, you notice that even though you don't have it as good as maybe you, as you'd like, no matter how good you have it, you could always like it better. But even though maybe things aren't ideal, and maybe actually they're pretty bad, because you're looking at the world as it really is now, and you're looking at your neighbor as yourself, you realize that you're bad 
is really pretty good. Or at least it could be a whole lot worse. And that creates in you a sense of gratitude. You know, you, 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 maybe you could use a bigger house, but you know what? Uh, uh, half the world doesn't have a house. And so you don't have it that bad. And, and it'd be nice to have better food, but, but a, a, a third of the world doesn't have enough food, so you don't have it that bad. And your job maybe really stinks, and by all means, look for a better job. But right now, you've got to know that there's a lot of people who don't have any jobs at all, and they do anything to support their family. And so maybe your job isn't that bad. You can have kind of contentment about it. And maybe your family situation isn't ideal, but if you look around, there's a lot of people who have a family situation that's, that's much worse that produces a sense of gratitude and contentment with regard to your family. To live in the whirlwind is to live with a sense of gratitude for everything that you have and a sense of generosity with everything you have because now you're seeing the world accurately. Now you're not, to that degree, you've been freed from that false, deceptive self. And there's a contentment and a joy and a love and a peace that begins to characterize your life. Let it go. Let it go. Have the stuff. Enjoy the stuff. But don't be curved in on it. Don't let it curve. Don't let it be a center of gravity in you. Just have it with open palms. You don't take any of, any of it with you. Practice dying now. And you just let go of it now. You're going to let go of it sooner or later. Let go of it now and start enjoying that life that really is life. Will you close your eyes to pray? I, and I just feel led to, to just give this short conclusion here. Um, I'd like to ask the prayer team to come forward, and I'm going to close with a prayer for us here, because this is a stronghold that all of us, let's be honest, or I can't say all of us, but probably the majority of us uh, have to deal with, to take care against all kinds of greed. I'd like the prayer team to come forward, and when I'm done praying, if you have any need whatsoever you'd like to have prayed for, feel free to come forward and spend some time with them. If you have children, get your children first, please, and then bring them back, and then come forward for prayer. If you're here... If you're here this morning and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ and never accepted his saving grace, you need to do that. That's the beginning of eternal life. And I want to invite you at the end of this service to come up here and to my right under the screen, there's a guy who will be happy to explain to you what that involves and to pray with you and to start that walk with God. But let me right here and now pray this prayer. Father, this is the big one for us. We Americans, this is the big one. God, the things of the world have such a center of gravity that even when we think we're avoiding them, we're not. We pray, Lord God, that you would just be an anti-gravitational force in our life and help us to let go. Lord, we want to fly with you. We want to spin with you, Lord God. We want to be caught up in the vortex of your triune love, Lord God. And we're so aware that the weighty things of this world can just keep us from, 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 from letting go. Lord, help us to see it and to let it go to let it go. Every person in this place, I pray, Lord God, that you'd free us from the prison of addiction to things. Free us from the stronghold to addic addiction to things. And Father, we come against any demonic force that energizes that in our life. The God of this age. In Jesus' name, we bind him over every mind and every heart in this auditorium. And we say, Jesus Christ is our Lord, and we take every thought captive to Jesus Christ. And now we ask you, Holy Spirit, to stir up the gift and to empower us to live as the people you've called us to be. Looking at the world as it really is, seeing you and your outrageous beauty, realizing what we are made in the image of your beauty, and seeing that beauty in every person that, that, that we come in contact with, and then realizing that the blessings that you've given us all belong to you. And so we're always open and asking for you to lead us and guide us as to how we should use it, not just to love ourselves, but to love our neighbor as ourselves. Do your work, Lord God, as we go out into this world. Help us to shine with your light in a world that's very, very dark. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said one last time, 
Amen. God bless you. We love you. Over here, if you want to know how to become a believer, up here, if you have some needs you want to have prayed for, God bless you.